Hi there, you're listening to the Paralegals on Fire podcast show where you'll be getting tips and actionable strategies that you can use right now to fast track your paralegal career. I'm your host, Ann Pearson, former paralegal and paralegal manager who left big law in the concrete jungle to start my own company, the Paralegal Bootcamp, where we give online courses that help paralegals make more money, increase their job security, and cut out the learning curve. All right, let's jump right into today's episode. Have you ever hired a process server and had things go terribly wrong? Like a complaint that gets served on the wrong person? If not, you're one of the lucky ones. If it has happened to you, it won't ever happen again because I've got a special guest today who's going to give you a checklist to make sure that when you hire a process server, things go smoothly. My guest today is Taya Godfrey. She's a former litigation paralegal who now owns her own company, Solid Serve Legal, where she provides process service and private investigation in the state of Oregon. She specializes in the hard-to-serve defendants and uses her investigation and surveillance skills in the arenas of workplace investigations, civil litigation, and criminal defense cases. Taya also serves as the vice president of the state's Association of Professional Process Servers, and volunteers regularly with several legal aid organizations. Taya, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anne. I am so excited to talk to you. Well, I want to give the listeners some background and how you came to own your own business. But first, that part of the surveillance skills, that kind of intrigues me, probably because I watch way too many Dateline (laughs) and investigative shows. But So for that part of what you do, are you actually like sitting in your car or hiding around a bush with a high-powered camera? What are you doing? I'm definitely mostly in my car. Sometimes I'm actually driving my car following somebody or sitting in a lobby waiting for somebody to show up and do something like in a hotel. But I don't use a high-powered camera. Those are really Those big lenses are really expensive and hard to maneuver when you're trying to be surreptitious about how you're, you know, what you're doing. And you'd be surprised at the quality of things that you can use on even just a nice smartphone. Yeah, nowadays, for sure. Yes. So are you ever worried? Like if you're doing some type of investigation, are you ever worried that someone will spot what you're doing or like that maybe your safety is an issue? Oh, sure. If you're not worried about it, then you're, you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Because usually the people that were surveilling have some issues. You know, there was a woman that I was trying to serve recently. It was a restraining order and her neighbor was trying to get this served on her because she likes to get drunk and shoot her gun off (gasps) in the general direction of the neighbor's house. And she has a big dog that she likes to stick on people. So, you know, you come prepared with doggy treats. You (laughs) People like this are super paranoid about their own safety and they're very protective of themselves and their property. So you want to be super careful about, you know, not sitting, like sitting in your car on their property or in front of their house. Obviously, that would be an easy giveaway. You have to park back far enough that you're not noticeable. You try to drive a very plain Jane kind of car with nice window tint, (laughs) 
you know, not even a vanity license plate, like nothing, no stickers on the car, nothing that would call anybody's attention to you. Those are just a few things that we start out with. But of course, you you definitely want to talk to the client and find out as much about your subject as you can before you go out there. You don't want to be caught unawares about maybe some behavior that's an issue. Okay. Well, so take me back to when you were a litigation paralegal. How and why did you decide to open up your own company? Well, many people still fondly remember the pandemic. (laughs) And shortly after we were all sent to work from home, the amount of litigation specifically dropped like a rock. And the courts weren't doing anything. Nobody was doing anything. I told my employer, you know, I could really do all of the work that you need me to do in 10 hours a week at this point. And I tried to work out a deal with them where I could potentially do something else during the day, but they didn't want me to do that. So I think I told you I watched all of Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) And then there was, there came a point (laughs) where I was like, I just can't do this anymore. I don't know how long this is going to last. It felt like it was going to last forever. I'm a person who really needs to be doing something productive. So I started doing some process service in the evening and on the weekends. And slowly but surely that kind of picked up. And then I got some more requests from people to do stakeouts with the more difficult to serve individuals. And in the state of Oregon, in order to do that, that's considered surveillance. You need to be a licensed private investigator. So I've worked on that and it's just been growing and growing. I really love it. I didn't know that I would love it as much as I do. Those who are in litigation know the headaches and the joys (laughs) of working a case. And one of the things that I thought that I was going to not have to deal with anymore is discovery reviews, like massive amounts of discovery. But you'd be surprised private investigators have to do a lot of that too. So I'm still using all my skills. Okay, nice. Yeah, deposition summaries were my worst. If I could look back on it, the thing I hated the most, it was doing deposition summaries. Oh, so boring. Well, so in addition to So you had to get your private investigator license. Did you have to do any other testing or anything like that or other certifications? Well, yeah, in the state of Oregon, there's a process. You have to have 1,500 hours of investigative experience in order to be a full-fledged licensed PI. Otherwise, they give you a provisional license. You do have to go through the background check and you have to get letters of recommendation. They want you to obviously take as much educational classes as you can. You're documenting all of this. And I did that with the help of a fellow PI company that I know here locally. And surprisingly, in Oregon at least, a lot of my paralegal experience transferred because of the research that we do, because of the background checks that we do, because of the discovery review that we do. A lot of what you do as a paralegal will transfer over. So I am considered a fully-fledged licensed PI. Congratulations. Going over to the process server side, you had put together some tips. I had read them online, and they were ones about hiring a process server. And when I read them, I thought, oh, my listeners love checklists. They love actionable strategies. And I guess it's just innate in paralegals or something. But 
especially ones that can save them from a big headache, like missing a court deadline because someone didn't get served on time. And I mean, we all have our own horror stories about something that went wrong with the process server, especially for the new paralegals listening today, because I think a lot of times, at least I know I did, you don't think about it as much as you think you should, you know, you think, oh, I'm just going to look it up. I mean, back then you would just look it up in the phone book or just take the local number that the paralegal sitting down the hall had and they use that process server all the time and you don't think much about it until... Until there's an issue, yeah. Yeah, so can you give us a few tips, however many you want to share with us that might save some headaches? Sure. I mean, it's not just hiring a process server. I think you can really use a lot of these tips for hiring any kind of vendor that you're going to utilize. You know, maybe it's a forensics person that has to deal with the phone or or some kind of technology that you're not doing, or it could be a private investigator. <laughs> it could yeah. be even a courier. Like there are just things that you want to do in terms of due diligence before you actually hire somebody. One of the things I learned from my ex-husband, who's a construction contractor, is that you should always try to get three bids for anything. So if you're going to hire somebody, like try to invest, you know, do some investigation on at least three different companies. Don't just pick the first one and go, oh, their their Google reviews look good. I'll go with them. Because you don't know what the options are that are out there unless you talk to at least three different entities. So I would start there. And I don't even think I put that in here. But the few tips that you want to start out with are knowing your realm of, I don't know what I would call this, but what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. What is your power there as a paralegal? Because every law firm is a little bit different. And when I was a new paralegal, I didn't know that I had some power that I had. Right. I mean, we all get intimidated by our attorneys, at least in the beginning. And you might be afraid to do anything on your own. Right. And so one of the things you want to do is like talk to your attorney as an, you know, an equal human being and just find out what they want you to do on your own and what they expect you to run by them. Right. So can you hire a process server on your own or do they need to sign off on it? You know, is it just a matter of understanding the budget? Like, what are the parameters that they are comfortable with you being in charge of? So once you know that, then you can proceed and find the vendors that you need. Before we move on to the next tip, I want to kind of back up to the three bids thing, because I think what a lot of people assume when you say go get three bids is which one's the cheapest, right? That you're going to compare the cheapest. Right. (laughs) So I would caution anybody listening that price isn't always the factor and in fact, shouldn't always be the factor. Another thing is the reviews and or the references. Can you validate them? Or are they just like ones that they've copied and pasted to their website with just like a, a first name and a last name initial or something instead of the full name? But the other thing that, and I've learned as a business owner, you you probably have too, is that Google can be your friend or your frenemy. And that if you just go online and Google, hire a local process server, Google's feeding you those results based on an algorithm. And so, and it's based on how high those 
places rank. So if you just pick the top three on that first page of Google, you don't know if you're picking it based on, you know, whether or not they're a good process server, right? So how would somebody get by that? Yeah, that's a big one because a lot of what, you know, so not even considering that, that there are a couple of big box process service companies who spend ungodly amounts of money on Google ads so that they can be at the top of the screen. The ranking is going to be based on how long a company has been in business, which isn't necessarily indicative of how good they are, (laughs) right? I mean, in my area, at least, there are a couple companies that don't even have websites that come up on the first page of results simply because they've been in business since like the late 90s. So definitely you want to think about what it is that you're looking for, right? Just because somebody's been in business since the late 90s doesn't mean that they are paying their employees or their contractors a fair wage because there's a lot of people who are using pricing from the late 90s (laughs) as well. Mm So the the folks that they subcontract to are making, you know, anywhere from six to twelve dollars for a serve, which is it's really sad. And then there are people that need the money. I mean, it's like an Uber Eats kind of situation. So you know that, like you said, on price, if you're paying a really low price, you want to know why. Why are you paying such a low price? Because the company itself is going to keep fifty percent at least of that amount of money. And then the process server will have the rest of it to spread out over three attempts, three or four attempts. So if they get, you know, like if you get charged $50, that means $25 goes to the process server who then potentially has to do three attempts, which comes out to about $6.25.30 per trip. (laughs) The professionals know what the, the true going rate is. Okay. So you definitely don't want to choose the lowest price. You want to you want to check and make sure that whoever you contact is responsive to you. Do they pick up the phone on the first call? Do they answer your email within an hour or two? Like as a paralegal, your day is flying usually and you don't have the ability to wait around until tomorrow to get a response. Nor should you honestly, not with the technology that we have today. So you want to talk to them and find out, you know, what is their rule of response to you and how much details are you going to get about every attempt? You know, and this goes with any vendor, right? How responsive are they? Do they communicate well verbally and in writing? Because a lot of what we do as paralegals has is about the documentation, So just because somebody is a vendor that does a thing doesn't mean that they know how to tell you all of the the little details that you need to know. I mean, I remember getting some attempt information back from one company where they would just write down no answer. Like, okay, what does that mean? Were they home and they didn't answer? Or what did it look like they were gone for vacation? Like, Give me some more information about that because you need to know in order to make decisions about um, potentially trying to find them, finding your subject somewhere else. And I will tell you, there's a lot of vendors who don't give you details like that. Well, yeah, I was just thinking to myself, if I'm the one having to do that for 
six or eight bucks because I'm on my third visit. I can't afford to spend more time than those two words. Right. And they're not taking pictures, right? So typically a process server is going to want to take a picture of the property where they are, at least one that shows the address, kind of is like proof that they were there, right? I'm going to date and timestamp kind of situation. But also just kind of overall on the property, are there vehicles parked there? You know, you want pictures of those vehicles so you can see if those vehicles are registered to anybody that you're trying to serve. Maybe the person has moved, (laughs) you know, or maybe they're trying to tell you they've moved, but their vehicles are still there. So these are some of the ways we figure out whether somebody's lying to us. You know, when you when you go to a door and you knock on the door and they say, oh, I don't know who that is. I've lived here for three years. I don't, I've never gotten any mail for that person. <laughs> and yet the vehicles that are parked in the driveway are registered to the person. And you've had that happen? Oh, yeah, definitely. And that's how you know whether you should continue to try to serve at that you know location or register it as a bad address in your notes and try to find a new one. So I have to tell you, your job sounds so interesting. <laughs> I'm going to, well, before we get there, let me let you finish. If you Do you have any other tips on just hiring vendors in general or process servers? Well, I mean, I think the most, one of the most important things that you can do to get some, you know, to, to have a successful outcome with a vendor is to communicate with them in a comprehensive way as well. So you want to include as many instructions as possible. Um, if you're, especially if you're trying to locate someone, serve someone, we need, you know, what's helpful is a photo of the person, if you have one, or a physical description, or any sort of prior serve attempts by a different company, because we're going to look at all of that documentation to try and figure out what the best approach is to getting that person served. Because we don't want to go out three times if we don't have to. We want to get them on the first time. So the more that we know about a person's schedule, habits, where they work, if we have a phone number for them, you'd be surprised how many people actually, if you call them and say, hey, I've got some legal documents I'd like to um, deliver to you at your convenience, they're more than happy to take them. I don't know, more than happy, but they're very cooperative. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, especially if you have... You know, if you don't want to be served at work and you get the option of saying, yeah, I'll be home at 7 p.m. tonight, please serve me there. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's a privacy thing. You don't want everybody at work to know your business. And, you know, many people know now that evading service is just kind of kicking the can down the road. It doesn't necessarily get you out of the situation. It's better to take those papers and deal with the situation immediately rather than trying to not get served. All right. Any other tips? I mean, I have the 10 on my website. Let's see. Oh, that would be great. So for people who are driving, walking, jogging on the treadmill, whatever, it would be great if you don't mind if I put a link to that article in the show notes. Absolutely. I would love them to come and see it. And if they have any tips that I don't have, you know, to add them in a comment. I mean, it's really about knowing your case, knowing what your rules are. A lot of times we may have to file a case out of state and the process server is going to have to follow the laws of that state in order for the service to be 
done properly. So, you know, you need to know just as much or if not more than the, the vendor that you decide to, to work with. Good advice. Well, some people might listen to this episode and go, I want to do what she's doing. That looks like so much fun, <laughs> investigating and finding these defendants that you have to serve and all that. And I love it. So the inspiration, you know, we do this these monthly inspirational episodes, and they're meant to give paralegals an idea that whether they're new or more experienced, that there are so many avenues that your paralegal career and experience can lead you down. It's just unlimited. It is literally unlimited. And so I, I just, I want to thank you for taking the time not only to share the tips about hiring a vendor and a process server, but also the stories, because I think that you're going to probably have some people reaching out to you saying, hey, how do I do that? I'm in Michigan, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so before we leave, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, do you have like a preferred social media channel or just is it your website? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. That's about as all, all that I can handle social media wise. <laughs> My website is solidservelegal.com. People can reach out to me on any of those channels. Email me hello at so, solidservelegal.com. Happy to answer any questions anybody has. That's great. All right. And so for those who don't take the time to go look at the show notes, if you're looking for Taya on LinkedIn, it's T-E-A, spelled like T, -E T-E-A, mm -hmm. and then G-O-D-F-R-E-Y. Yep. All right, Taya, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. This was fun. Good. I'm glad. All right. Bye for now. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, hit the subscribe button in whatever platform you're listening. And please take a quick minute and leave a review of the podcast and share this episode with just one colleague or friend who you think would benefit from what we discussed today. Share the knowledge and the entire paralegal profession elevates. See you next week. Bye for now.